it. I was sitting in a petrol station last night and I was calming and oh mother of God, the window got tapped three <laughs> times in ten minutes. They are That mad. was the one lad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're mental about it, yeah. That's Don't go to rock. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports Now you're welcome along to the football show Very happy to say later on We will be hearing from Marcela Mora Irahu On all things Argentina They are 35 games unbeaten As they arrive in Qatar Gav Cooney of the 42 here in studio Hello How are you? When are you heading out? I fly Saturday afternoon, so we assumed we were getting there in pretty good time when we booked it all, and then FIFA moved the tournament <laughs> a day early, so um, yeah, landed. The, but we're still landing in the early, I'll land about the early hours of Sunday, and it kicks off later that day. Very good. Well listen, just a word of advice from Danish TV, make sure you have your permits for any mm. filming. Yeah, and doing. that doesn't seem to uh, always work either. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the issues around the tournament is what's said by the organising committee and what's put out in FIFA press releases perhaps they believe it but whether that trickles down to the people enforcing on the ground is another matter and I think that's part a lot of the uneasiness about people among fans travelling um, and like among some media as to how it's going to play out is rooted in that the idea that what trickles down may not instantly change the you know behaviour of people on the ground enforcing these rules behaviour that they would have learned or doing their jobs for years and years. Yeah. Um, so that does seem to be the uh, issue um, at root there with the with Danish TV. Yeah. The, if, there was another mad incident. Did you were you reading um, Grant Wall, the American soccer journalist, um, American, the football journalist from America? Uh, he took a picture of a slogan on the wall on the media center, and he wrote this story on his Substack and tweeted it last night. A security guard comes over and says, "Sorry, you can't take a picture of that. Can you delete it from your phone, please?" It's like, it's a public, it's a slogan, giant wall-sized slogan in a room in which literally the international media are invited en masse. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Strange. See how it plays out. Wow, that is strange. If you miss, they miss the uh, Danish TV reference, it's gone viral at this stage, but a Danish TV reporter told to stop as he was trying to do a live piece on TV and it all got a little bit heated on what looked like nondescript dark streets so as to why the local Jobsworths thought he should turn off his camera I don't even know No idea I mean it was at a Doha roundabout I mean I would maybe the person there is not used to seeing camera crews set up yeah. and they're like you know it's it's you know it's an inherently repressive society there's not a whole lot of freedom media wise yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that they just see this as what on earth is this maybe best to call call a halt to it well, hopefully they can keep said slogan under wraps over the next month. <laughs> it's not that, no. I can't. Unfortunately, the the Streisand effect hasn't kicked in on this incredibly. That'll show you how unbelievably bland the slogan was. Yes, uh, I can't quite remember it. Well, your mission, just for me, if you could, mm. would be to tweet me the slogan. Okay. Yeah, I'll. I'll I'm I'm due in that media centre on Sunday, right. uh, so I'll tweet you the slogan. If you're feeling um, brave, and I'll I'll uh, yeah I'll I'll put one in the eye of autocratic regimes everywhere. So we have talked to Tim Vickery about Brazil. We talked to Philippe Auclair last night. Very downbeat on France's chances. Yeah. He was saying a whole host of those players arrive with knocks like Varane types and uh, Kimpempe is out now, we think. And then ultimately he said the French version of Pogba, the good version, 
out, Kante out. So even with Griezmann, Benzema and Mbappe ahead of that midfield, which is very tasty, Philippe was far from certain that... And like, he's obviously knows a lot more than me, so I'll obviously believe him. Yeah. To my mind, if you're looking at your national team with Mbappe, Benzema and Griezmann up front, I don't understand how you could be pessimistic. But I suppose the issue is the midfield really, isn't it? I mean, who's going to... I mean, Chowmany of Madrid will probably play there. Guendouzi might play, which yeah. is kind of quite remarkable. That's um, Rabio's been mentioned. Rabio, yeah, who's kind of he's been pretty good for Juventus. We were, I was chatting to Arthur about this outside. Yeah, he's just like it was just the mere prospect of ending up at Manchester United seems to have inspired huh. this kind of career strength performances. To kick up the back from Madrid and Rabio is just like. I mean, as you say, even if things aren't going especially well, just boot it up to the three lads yeah. and let's see what might happen. Like Now, the only other thing that kind of makes me think that France might not have a great tournament is just this vague sense of kind of the swings how of just the passing of time and the some kind of inherent Frenchness because yeah. you usually follow a World Cup final by blowing up on the launch pad. I mean, it happened. Won in 98, didn't get out of the group in 02, yeah. got to the final in 06, disgraced themselves... Uh, in 2010, made all the more goaling by the fact that we would have been there instead of instead of them. We wouldn't have been kind of have wouldn't have been having the kind of squabbles that they had then. So maybe look, maybe the same will happen in 2022. But I'm ki- I'm quite taken aback by the level of pessimism yeah. around that. That's good. Well, Philippe was also saying there is just a general feeling which is almost seeping into the bones of the whole setup that this is very much the end of their cycle. It's the end of Deschamps and they're unlikely to kind of peak yeah. magnificently here on the world stage. And Ireland, Ireland line and wait in March. I know. Zidane coming to Dublin yeah. is... Bit of glamour, you know. Glamour, um, that is, sorry, there's enough glamour. We didn't need that much glamour yeah. in that role. But anyway, that's for so, future worries. Can we pick your brain on some of the other teams? Because you have looked at all the tables and, and, and mm. done your, your cursory uh, tournament research. Players to watch and all that business, yeah. I'm sure. So uh, Spain, Luis Enrique has promised direct live streaming to the fans. He's going to share his innermost thoughts. So Spain... Lost in the Euro 2020 semi-final to Italy on penalties. They have pretty much breezed through qualification. They lost to Sweden, I think, but breezed through. They have Pedri turning 20 mid-tournament. I saw a quote from Xavi saying, if we're talking pure talent, he is the best in the world. So perhaps he might blossom. And they still have Sergio Busquets still going at the age of 57. <laughs> what are we to expect from Spain? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll, they should do pretty well. I mean, they're in a group with Germany. They have a hard group. They've got Germany. They've got Japan, who I think are actually quite good. Um, it's just, you know, the, the great Spain team you remember was the midfield triangle, the Barcelona midfield triangle of Xavi, Iniesta and Busquets. Well, this is built on another Barcelona midfield triangle of Pedri, Gavi and the aforementioned 57-year-old Sergio Busquets. So maybe there's an issue there. I think there might be an issue at centre-forward. It's still Morata. I mean, like there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of burden on those sensitive shoulders for Alvaro Morata um, and defensive wise I mean they, they should be they should be fine I mean there was talk of should you pick Sergio Ramos again I think Enrique is too much of an alpha to allow Sergio Ramos into that dressing room um, De Gea missed out maybe maybe that's to be expected Thiago missed out which I'm slightly surprised by Thiago Liverpool um, so I think they might The the I mean in terms of kind of breakout stars I mean Ansu Fati is fit and he is included mm. so Fati is a very, very talented. I think he is he twenty. It might still be a teenager. Um, at Barcelona, took the number ten jersey from Messi. Mm. You know, like Barcelona only give that ten jersey to people with quite insulting style adjectives or surnames. Messi and now obviously Fatty, but he's fit. Um, he, he feels ready to be a, kind of a breakout star at the tournament. Mm. Um, and if he gets a run on the side, which is not a guarantee 
Ferran Torres might play instead. Um, Spain could go pretty deep, but I just, there is a concern at centre forward. Like he didn't pick Aspas, Jared Moreno's injured of Villarreal. Um, Arthabel, the Sociedad player, is injured as well. He's out since March with an ACL injury. So it, it kind of does come down to, the, once again, like the Euros, comes down to Morata. Spain were a lot closer in the Euros, and I kind of think, when I went back and looked at it, they were so close to beating Italy in the semi-finals on pens. They made such a uh, such a drama out of beating Croatia mm. earlier in the group. If you remember that amazing Monday, yeah. where there was that and, and France and Switzerland. They were so close in the Euros and lost on penalties to Italy and deserved to beat them in that semi-final. So mm. I kind of think that they might be one of Europe's best representatives there. You know, I mean, you'll, you know, Tim and Marcella will give you um, far greater insight into Argentina and Brazil. Um, but it feels like finally the balance of power football-wise has shifted back to South America after, you know, this thing, the World Cup has been carved up by Western Western Europe for the past 20 years so um, but I think all of this uh, European sides of flows talked about France there yeah. um, Spain maybe may, might be the best of them Germany are being talked about in terms of historic low 2018 group stages exit debacle 2020 beaten by England in that game in the last 16 my abiding memory of that game is Raheem Sterling gifting a chance and falling to his knees and the chance being missed yeah. and a sliding doors moment I was reading this is the first time in the post-war era that Germany in two successive tournaments haven't at least reached the quarters in one of them. It's just an insane record going across, I don't know how many generations. So this is Hansi Flick's Germany and nobody is talking about them. So presumably they'll be uh, lifting the World Cup in a month's time. I mean, it's just a measure of how quashed and miserable the World Cup build-up has been that I've lit- I have not heard the phrase "Don't write off the Germans," and they have been completely written off in so many in so many quarters. I kind of think that they might be okay. They do feel, you know, they're either a side, and this this uh, I will be wise after the event, and I will say that they were they're either a perfect balance of youth and experience, or else they're a team in transition. Um, mm-hmm. Because you still got a few of the titans from twenty fourteen. Muller is still there. Neuer is still there. Mario Götze has been called up after having a great start of the season at Eintracht Frankfurt. And then they have some incredibly exciting young players. Jamal Musiala of Bayern, who's been great there, who might have played for England, um, but did a kind of a Declan Rice on England. Um, you've got Mokoko, who's only 17 at, um, at Dortmund. There's one or two other young players who I'm kind of missing. So I think that... Uh, that group, that group is really tricky because I think Japan are, are quite good and are kind of re- are kind of primed to maybe take advantage. I mean, Japan, I would be annoying to Japan dark horses if they were in a if they were in a better if they were in an easier group. Yeah, I think Germany should get out of the group again. They might struggle up front. I mean, there is a. Uh, it looks like Kai Havertz will probably play there. Yeah. Timo Werner. Timo Werner was he was Hansi Flick's man, and he's uh, he's missing out through injury. Yeah. And even behind Havertz, again, this much maligned German team, behind Havertz, you've the, you still have the craft and the guile of Muller, whatever mm. about age. You have Sané, incredibly gifted. You've Gnabry there as well. Gundogan may not get in the side. He's mm. too similar to Kimmich. I mean, these yeah. are the riches that were uh, and But also, off. Kimmich is back in midfield. If you remember, like Yogi Love kind of lost, kind of just, compl- that job completely got away from him in the end. And in that game against England, this, he wanted to play this back three with wing backs and he had Robin Gussens who remember he destroyed who Portugal. was it Portugal in the yeah. group stage and he thought oh maybe he's onto something 
But playing wing backs meant moving Kimmich out to right wing back, and it's, you know he's not athletic enough really to play there anymore. And his strength is passing range in the middle of midfield. So Flick has has done intelligent, maybe obvious things in putting him back in the centre midfield. Um, yeah, and I, like maybe they'll concede too many goals. I mean, Flick's Bayern were great to watch, but they weren't exactly yeah. paragons of defensive resolve. Um, but yeah, I've kind of again like France, slightly taken aback by. Just how Negativity. down downbeat the 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 national yeah. journalists are about them. Belgium, it's similar as well. So again, there's this end of era sense, akin to Deschamps. Martinez will step down after six years in charge. The golden generation is ebbing away a touch. Vincent Company no longer on the stage. Obviously, De Bruyne is there, and around him you have Hazard and Lukaku and Witzel and Tielemans. So they will still be just fine. You suspect 2018 semi final finished third and then last year it was Italy who did knock them out mm. at the quarterfinal stage but again this sense that their best years are behind them and if they haven't done it yet dot 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 Yeah I was initially writing about this group I thought is this the golden generation's last chance and I wrote that and now I read it back and think actually was that right maybe the golden generation's last chance has passed it was the most recent Euros or probably the World Cup in 2018 I mean De Bruyne is still there and is still as brilliant as ever Courtois is there in as, in, and is as brilliant as ever but Lukaku's injured like he hasn't I think he's played like half an hour since August like I mean he's not going to be fit and he, he's not a guy that immediately gets up to speed no, he's is a big Lukaku guy. Yeah. Um, Hazard is you know an important player for them but again he's been sitting on the bench with Real Madrid and like Lukaku he's not a guy who immediately gets back up to speed either um, and the defence I mean Alderweireld and Vertonghen are still on the defence you know I mean that is that is an old and creaking defence they've got They've got some good young players coming through. I mean, Trossard is from uh, Brighton. Will probably well, he might start certainly in the early games and be important for them. They've got a guy who played against Ireland, uh, Kettler, who's at AC Milan, who's, who's super talented but has struggled in his early months there. So I think maybe I actually think that maybe the the sheen has gone off the golden generation. I think they might struggle. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, like a perception that whether Martinez has done a good job or not. Yeah. I mean, they haven't won a trophy. Third at the World Cup and number one for so many years. I think he's probably done pretty well. I mean, mm. there was they beat Brazil in 2018, like brilliant game, narrowly beaten in the, in the semi-finals in the World Cup, and then to finish third was was pretty good. Yeah. Beaten by France, wasn't it? The in 2018, the Euros is a big disappointment. But then did they go to extra time against Italy? I think. Oh God, I'm going into my mind there. And it's not it's not being kind to me. Beaten by Italy. Yeah, beaten by Italy. Eventual um, winners. Eventually winners, yeah. Netherlands will be watching them. Stephen Kenny's out there to watch them. So uh, Van Gaal, uh, I, I presume this is his, um, his farewell, uh, mm. given his illness and his age, I suppose. In typical Dutch fashion, the tactics are to the fore here of everything that's going on. So Van Dijk, their star man, is on the record as saying he does not like this 5-3-2 that Van Gaal is playing. Van Gaal played a 5-3-2 at the World Cup in Brazil. And, you know, these are the kind of quality of conversations they're having. So Van Gaal's been saying uh, he was a 4-3-3, you know, raised in the um, the grand tradition. But he says, the longer I've been a coach, the more I've learned to love the 5-3-2 system. You can attack with it, you can defend with it, you can put the opponent under pressure everywhere. And if you play it well, there is less risk of the opponent breaking through in the counter-attack because you have three central defenders. I felt that in a 4-3-3 system, it was best to form triangles everywhere. But back then, I didn't have the ability to see the advantages of the other system. In the 5-3-2, the balance in the team is better. Mm. 
I think the subtext of that is that his uh, his attackers had more ability back then mm. uh, when he was playing four three three. I mean, if Van Hal wanted proof uh, of the accuracy of what he said there, he could look at Ireland. I mean, Ireland started out with four three three, but were getting sliced open. You know, they had to go they, they had to go to three of the back. So, and it yeah. is worth reminding ourselves they did finish third at that World Cup in. 2014 when he was in charge and he went with five at the back so mm. he's he's seen it pay off in tournament football yeah and then they missed they missed the 2018 World Cup entirely they played a back five under De Boer at the Euros didn't they I remember Denzel Dumfries this buccaneering right wing back was brilliant at the Euros um, and he'll play there again yeah. the issue is the other flank I mean it may be Danny Blind playing at left wing back who Really, I think maybe time maybe time is caught up with his legs there. Um, but I know like Van Hal has expressed that in such wonderful tactical language. Yeah, like I love, I love great. that. But there is just a sheer pragmatism to it. I mean, his best players are defenders. Yeah. Really, you know, they've so many strong centre halves. And do they have the attack to go deep in the tournament? Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, Depay isn't fully fit. Van Hal has brought him. He said he wouldn't normally, but he's made an exception to include him. Yeah. Uh, you've got Cody Gakpo of PSV, who's been linked heavily with Premier League move over the summer. So we'll see how, how he goes. And the midfielder should be pretty strong, obviously, with with, with Frankie De Jong. Uh, when Alden's injured, which is a bit of a pity for him, he's more mm. he has a lot more of an attacking role with them than you might remember him having with Liverpool, for example. But uh, no, he's out. To round off our European chat, and it is so odd that Italy aren't a part of it. Oh. Of England then, because there will be, and we'll come to Qatar in just a moment, there will be Qatar, Ecuador on the Sunday. And then I think where people will be very keen to plug into the bigger teams will be one o'clock on Monday when England play Iran. They'll have USA on the Friday and then Wales the following uh, Tuesday. So the um, tournament pragmatism of Southgate never ages well between tournaments Mm. because they're playing teams they should beat or it's just a bit dull. But come tournament time, uh, we have a fair sense what to expect from England. It won't yeah. be terribly exciting, but... Is it pragmatism, though? What do you think it is? Fear? I think it's fear, a kind of a dogma, I have to say. Because pragmatic, I mean, I remember Andres Iniesta's talk about this in 2010. Like, we used to think that Spain keeping the ball was almost kind of gratuitous. Like, they're showing off how good they are. And he spoke very, like, bl- uh, bluntly. It was just like, this is the pragmatic thing to do. We have the ball, you can't score we attack because we have better attackers than defenders. England's squad is stacked with attackers uh, and and undermined by a poor defence mm. and a lack of options there. Yet Southgate emphasises the defensive part of the team. And I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Um, like he's so many attackers. Maybe, you could argue maybe too many to fit into the team, but he could fit another one in if he uh, if he felt he could trust his defence a little bit more. But I mean, he'll probably, at the Euros, he swapped between a back four and it was a back three really back five against oh, really the big teams five, yeah. so it'll be a back five again and the other thing that is notable about Southgate ahead of this tournament I always thought he was very risk averse uh, he's gambling he's gambling like you know he's, he's got he's down to his last couple of chips in Las Vegas here because he's bringing along Calvin Phillips who hasn't played yeah. and he's yoked himself to Harry Maguire and it's that is a huge gamble Maguire is the it must be as he tosses and turns in his uh I'm sure a very fancy hotel. Mm-hmm. The Maguire issue must be the worry. Yeah. Because you can bank now that every team in the tournament will target Maguire's side. You know, and they, like Maguire's confidence is on the floor, rightly or wrongly. Yeah. And now his match sharpness is as well. Like yeah. he hasn't even, you know, at least you could point to it and say, well, look, it's been a tough time for Harry, but he hasn't been playing every week mm. for Manchester United. And maybe the problem isn't just him. And like, not to be too unfair to the guy, but 
look at how United have improved when he came out of the team. Yeah. You know, so like you can imagine what his confidence is. And I, I, I think in one way you can admire Southgate for you know giving Harry a G up. I mean, like you know, I'm, I, I think he's literally said I'm staking what reputation I have on Harry Maguire. You no, know, it's it, the framing of this I was saying to Dan last night is so interesting in that there is a sense of England headed for disaster because of the overly negative approach and in particular the Maguire situation and even Gary Lineker framed it as Gareth Southgate has earned the right to fail. Yeah. <laughs> we just God. have to tr- it's, it's record is so good even if we don't agree with a lot of it he's Un- earned the right. Unpack that. I think England have had have benefited under Southgate from straightforward draws of, of that I don't think that can be argued with. Yeah. Um, I think he's actually I think Southgate is has done a great job mm. in all fairness. Yeah. I mean he's the best England manager I've ever seen. He has managed to do something impossible. He's um, he's restored a sense of dignity to that job. And considering the ways in which other English managers have left, yeah, I mean we've had uh, obviously Sam Allardyce over his pint of wine, uh, all kinds of salacious tabloid rumours about Sven Wally with the brawly with Steve McLaren, mm. uh, Kevin King quitting in the toilet, um, Glenn Hoddle in infamously in the words of Hot Price and of Hot Price sacked for his views on the transmigration of souls. Like, I mean, there's been no. I mean, all England managers eventually go mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Southgate has restored a bit of dignity to that job, for which I think he should be applauded. Mm. Um, he's been extremely successful to get England to a semi-final of a World Cup, and a, the width of a post from winning the Euros is incredible. But it does feel like this has gone on for too long. The four-nil loss to Hungary in the Nations League is proof of that they fought back and got a 3-3 against Germany yeah. in the last game maybe that kindles hope there's something but I can't see them going beyond the quarterfinals You've reminded me of one of the great tweets which was Sam Allardyce will never again talk to somebody wearing a GoPro on their head <laughs> 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 So the wider picture talking to uh, Marcela Mori Irahu in advance of tonight's show, and we'll play the interview for you very shortly. She was saying in Argentina, where she's you know she's been in London and now gone home, she hasn't uh, for the World Cup. She hasn't noticed the fixation, for instance, in the Argentinian media on the controversy around Qatar for whatever reason. Whereas European media, US media, especially mm. fixated on it. David Beckham at the moment seems to be the focus of much of the UK media and really deservedly so absolutely absolutely because what is the Qatar World Cup but an effective selling out of a succession of souls for money uh, and David Beckham has, has joined that and he's the he's he's the very visible face of the corruption of the game and like the corruption of the game in a moral sense yeah. um, which has allowed this World Cup to happen um, so I'm not I'm not at all surprised he was obviously involved in the 2018 bid so he was in the room when it was um, awarded to Qatar. I don't know if you've seen the Netflix documentary on FIFA, the four-parter. Started it. It's, it's, re- it's very, very good. And there's a very, there's a very interesting part of it in which the whistleblower, as she was, became known, who worked on the Qatari team as, uh, I think, as part of, in a media communications role, mm. they were at some expo somewhere. Um, and there was no media, there were, like, there was a number of stalls and the various nations were presenting their bids and their... Um, their ambitions to host the World Cup and no one was um, gravitating towards the Qatari stall at all. And then all of a sudden David Beckham walks in to go to the England stall and the, the world descends on him. There's a media scrum and uh, whoever is involved in standing there in the Qatari stall turns to this me- to, turns to the whistleblower and says, why couldn't you get me uh, media attention like that? Wow. 
and she explains in the documentary I, she, he couldn't understand that that's David Beckham you know I mean he's <laughs> I mean he's as famous as football people come um, and you know I'd, maybe it's a coincidence but maybe it's not it's that years later they finally got the World Cup and they've bought David Beckham to be the face of it especially, and especially literal interpretation of the question asked the deal is 150 million reportedly over X number of years. So, yeah. I mean, it's gargantuan money, but uh, this is going to stay in his legacy. Oh, forever. Massively. Absolutely Massively. forever. You know, I mean, is he Deservedly not? so. And like, I mean, maybe this is going to sound a little bit like Helen Lovejoy, but like, does he not have enough money? And he still has to, I mean, honestly, he has to reckon with himself that he promoted this and like, history is not going to be kind to this World Cup, you know? Mm. And uh you know, the the discourse around it has been extremely critical ahead of it, and rightly so. Um, I think it will it will only look worse in the history books, and David Beckham will forever be associated with it. So, as you head out there, the build-up to this World Cup has not been kind to it. As you said, history will not be kind to it. What about in real time, mm. when the football starts? Do you think the football will... I suppose, elevate the general mood above the tawdriness of mm. the whole situation. Barney Rone has a great line that I'm mangling now here, but only the football can save the football at this point. Yeah. Uh, I think I think people will lose themselves in the football. Uh, I think people should lose themselves in the football. Um, it is a terrible thing that we're building up to World Cup and everyone has to kind of sit down with their own conscience and work out, am I looking forward to this? To what extent should I watch this? I think that is so sad. I mean, there are, there are, as I've said before, there are degrees of outrage about this World Cup. That's probably not the greatest one. The kind of inner conscience war that every fan has to kind of wrestle with. But it is one. I mean, this should be uncom- something uncomplicated yeah. to get lost in at the end of your day. But it's not. But I still think that the football will take over I, I for a while I think it will and we always talk about it in a kind of an almost guilty or slightly even insidious way that this is what they want you know they want the football to take over and they'll turn a blind eye to whatever and I look maybe that's true but I also think that people people shouldn't feel guilty about enjoying the football and getting carried away with themselves every now and again I think that sometimes if people are in that situation they can feel almost that they're almost complicit in the whole thing and they shouldn't feel complicit. I mean, their passions are being exploited yeah. here, you know. And for, you can say, sports washing, it's also ultimately for, it's ultimately the geopolitics of Qatar. Yeah. Um, and it was FIFA's decision to send it there. You know, football will always be used by regimes for their own ends. It's been happening since Mussolini held a World Cup and Hitler had a, had an Olympics. It was FIFA's job to stop this happening. They didn't do it. Um, but I don't think that they should f- allow people to feel bad about enjoying the football. And so, uh, from your point of view going out there, I mean, we mentioned the Danish TV example. If anyone's just tuning in, there was a fair degree of heavy-handedness with a Danish TV reporter who was perfectly entitled to be filming where he was filming. And you mentioned Grant Wall as well, the American soccer journalist who took a picture of a slogan in the media centre, which was up on the wall and was told to delete the picture for reasons I'm not entirely sure of. And we're hearing reports of beer stands being moved by royal edict last minute, mm. despite agreements, I'm sure, as to where those uh, beer tents should be for, for publicity reasons as much as uh, convenience. So I'm curious as to whether there'll be a warm, you know, these initial incidents aside, a warm, more relaxed guitar for the month mm. or whether there'll be a degree of 
where you're in our town now, Fire Guys. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to, there'll be no lacks anything. We're yeah. going to uh, run things exactly as we see fit, whether you enjoy it or not. And yeah. that's a really interesting question. That is an interesting question. And I don't know what the answer will yeah. be because, you know, there has been rhetoric about, you know, everyone has been told, like, do not, you know, security people, if they see a rainbow flag, allow that person to fly it. If you see someone mildly drunk, just, you know, so long as they're not being too um, too destructive or, or too uh, disruptive uh, to leave them be. But again, like, I mean, that's rhetoric. What will reality be? I have no idea, no, to be no. quite honest. And the only, I'll only able, be able to answer the question after the World Cup. Yeah. Have a good time. Thanks. Is that even appropriate to say? I no, I think I think it is. I I have to say I am, you know, you sit back and you think about the migrant worker situation and all that is mm. the, the cost of this World Cup and, it, you know, it's revolting. Um, but I have to say, and I will admit it, that there is a level of kind of, I don't know, I've, I feel a certain level of kind of professional excitement to be going. I've never been to a World Cup before. I am I am excited to go there. Um, and... Unfortunately, yeah. I, 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 I've, I don't know whether it's okay to feel that way, Joe, or not, but I do. Safe travels. Gav Cooney of the 42. Enjoy, Gav. Cheers. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports.